What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, a mini-parasite, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show... Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Oh my god, dinosaurs! We're talking all things Jurassic... As we fact-check Jurassic Park, was John Hammond really in over his head? Could life, uh, find a way? And are T-Rex's eyesight really based on movement? We're digging up dinos and the truth. Discover this more as we answer the age-old question, which dinosaur would make Jim Henson's blood curdle? Joining me today is friend of the show, entertainment journalist, scientist, and dinosaur enthusiast, KB. Welcome! Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm so excited. I love Jurassic Park. I love dinosaurs. I can't wait to dive in and see what we come up with. I know. I love Jurassic Park, too. I was scared of that movie when I was a kid. As an adult, it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, But despite having a special place in my heart, we are going to tear that movie to shreds in this podcast. (laughs) I feel like Jurassic Park is full of bad science in a lot yeah. of ways. And so can't wait to tear it to shreds. Good movie, bad science. You know, I, I don't think the thing is, I don't think a movie has to have accurate science to be good. Jurassic Park basically proves that. But it, the, I think the thing that's somewhat frustrating about it is it's almost got good science. Like they got so close to having good science. It's not just like terrible all the way through. They have some really interesting ideas, but they just narrowly miss it being good science. Yeah, I'm curious because I don't know who was kind of who the consultants were that they used for Jurassic Park. But I'm like, man, you know, um, obviously they they took Michael Crichton's book and, you know, kind of clearly made it to what it was. But I'm still like, who did they talk to? What scientists did they actually consult when they were putting together the script (laughs) for this movie? Truly. What was it? Just a chicken in a lab coat trying to spread like pro dinosaur propaganda. 
sounds maybe probably about right. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, the the movie does have some really interesting ideas, and it, as we're going to discuss, it actually inspired some research about dinosaurs. So really, you know, I, I think it was a it was a great movie overall. Probably inspired a lot of future paleontologists too. So I can't knock it for that, but. We are going to, we're going to be buzzkills and fact check it, you know, bunch of wet blankets. I feel like maybe it did kind of, maybe in some sort of way, because it is one of the first films that I remember seeing in the theater. I remember the entire experience. We were late. We uh, snuck McDonald's in and because we were late, we had to sit on the front row. I remember being terrified, but also completely in awe. So I feel like maybe it did kind of, you know, pique my interest in, in science and maybe that's why when I got to college, I was like, hmm, I'm on this quest to learn more. It could have been Jurassic Park. Who knows? Right, right. You're seeing a T-Rex so up close. Just I need to learn about animals because if I don't, they're going to eat me. <laughs> You're, I'm going to die if I don't learn about them. So let me make the most of my life by, you know, definitely digging deep into right. their livelihood. I think it's also there's something fun about it in terms of like, yeah, we're like little shrews that turned, you know, into like hairy people. Uh, But hey, you know what? At least we're alive and you giant dinosaurs aren't. So it's there's a bit of smugness, I think, in looking at dinosaurs. Oh, really? You're the king of the dinosaurs? Well, not not so kingly now. We visit your bones. We take our children to touch your bones. So there. (laughs) That's an interesting way of putting it. Yes, it's weird. (laughs) I feel like the only other creatures that have like, well, that truly withstand the test of time are roaches. But like outside of that, you know, I'm like, they're walking with the dinosaurs. They're walking with the humans. They truly (laughs) have, you know, probably one up on us. They're going to have roach museums where they have our bones on display and they bring their little tiny children roaches in. And it's like these dumb humans once thought they were in control, but we're the ones who survived all the nukes and such. They're going to be like, look, they died and we are still here. Right. Oh my gosh. Still living off their shelf stable Twinkies. Terrifying. Terrifying, (laughs) truly. (laughs) So uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about is the main premise of the movie, which is that you you know, uh, what's what's the famous line like God creates dinosaurs? Wait, no, no. Hang on. Uh, it's the it's the Jeff Goldblum line where it's like, I, I know which one you're talking yeah. about. I'm like, OK, uh. I think it's like God creates dinosaurs. God kills dinosaurs. God creates man. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs kill man or something like that. Something like that. Right. I don't know. But other than the like religious aspect of that, the conceit of the film is that, uh uh-oh, humans are playing God and they created dinosaurs. But hey, no, we we made all female dinosaurs. So it's safe, right? Well, whoops-a-diddles, they change their sex and then start reproducing out of control. And... Welcome, you are now being overrun by a park (laughs) full of dinosaurs. And it spawned like 10 sequels or something or other. And so, With more to come, because they just finished filming like the next one. Oh my God, how many of these? Which is wild. They just keep making, I like how with the sequels, they're like, we're just going to keep making the dinosaurs bigger. And that's going to get more of an audience. Like, keep making them bigger. It's Just true. In- I'm still watching. So, yes, it works. <laughs> I mean, I guess it worked on me at least. Planet-sized dinosaurs next. So, yeah, I mean, 
in, in the movie, uh, they have all this like foreshadowing of like, oh, you know, the famous line of like life uh, finds a way. And it turns out that these all female dinosaurs figure out how to reproduce anyways. And the explanation in the movie is that they had incomplete dinosaur DNA from the sample that they got from Amber, right? So, like, they get a mosquito in Amber that sucked on some sweet, juicy dinosaur blood, and they use that DNA to clone the dinosaurs, but they have some missing DNA that wasn't able to be sequenced, so they used West African frog DNA to fill in the DNA dino gap. And, oops, it turns out that West African frogs can change their sex. And therefore, the dinosaurs were able to change their sex and have male dinosaurs, then they were able to reproduce. And then, you know, Jeff Goldblum got to be smug while being shirtless and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> I love that tidbit, actually, that you said, while being shirtless. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he spent most of the movie, like, without his shirt on and being smug. You can always see his chest in some capacity. Right, which I do appreciate them recognizing that... Jeff Goldblum's main asset is his chest, I guess. I mean, you know, in this film, it makes sense because Jeff Goldblum is a chaos theorist, I believe. So, you know, like he's really honestly there to just stir up trouble and also tell every single human being and scientist who works at this park how dumb they are. So, like, mostly that is the purpose. I love that, like, a chaos theorist, right? Like, a physicist would be the bad boy of the movie because he studies chaos theory. So he's like, I mean, which actually, when you think about it, is the least accurate thing because, like, I think, like, a lot of physicists were kind of kind of uh, bad boys. You know Einstein was a bad boy, though. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Ian, I feel like Ian in this particular film is like the cool writer. Yes. I just made a Grease 2 reference because I adore it even more than Grease 2. <laughs> but he is like the cool writer of the group. Like, right. you know, he, I feel like he wears leather jackets, you know, in his bed at night and his hair is perfectly coiffed. And, you know, he is giving you the best one-liners of the film. So, yes. <laughs> Why didn't you call me after last night? It's entropy, baby. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so that would be but, a joke for sure. <laughs> is this actually possible, right? Could you mix up some dino DNA with some frogs and then suddenly have dinosaurs change their sex? Well, first, let's talk about whether this even happens, right? Like, can animals change their sex? And that part is absolutely true. It is called sequential hermaphroditism, meaning that the organism changes its sex at some point during its life. Now, this may be due to environmental factors, social factors, or maturation and timing. One of the most famous examples of this is actually in clownfish. So, like Finding Nemo. Clownfish have a very interesting social structure. There is a breeding pair, a male and female, who live inside of an anemone, a sea anemone. Hate saying that word. Don't do it good. But they live in there for their protection. So their skin has... Uh, some uh, a resistance to the sea anemone toxin, and it protects them from predators. But outside of the sea anemone, there are a, a few other clownfish, and these are smaller males who are not sexually mature who help protect the breeding pair. So it's like, you know, you have the king and queen of the castle, the anemone castle, and outside you have these smaller males 
who are guards. If the female dies, the male, the dominant male, which is typically the other half of the male pair. So imagine you have a king and queen. The queen dies. The king will change his sex to female, become the new queen, and the head of the guard, the most dominant male of the guard males, will then come and breed with him and become the new king. Does that make sense? Wait. Yes, I'm following the trail, but yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So in other words, the clownfish have a sexual hierarchy. The largest, most dominant fish is the female and is like basically the queen, the, the mating uh, female. If she leaves or dies... The second most dominant fish will ra rise through the ranks and become the new female, change its sex to be female, become the breeding female, and then the next in line then becomes the breeding male, like the, the king to the queen, uh, and so on and so forth. There are often these kind of mating strategies where you have subordinates in your mating system that are basically there to protect you, protect your young, and they're just waiting for their chance to rise through the ranks and become a part of a breeding pair. But it's much more rare that you actually have this system where they have sequential hermaphroditism, where they actually change sex. So that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wish I would have learned about this clownfish while I was studying, you know, biology for all of my degrees, because that's really, really interesting. Like, I love that the dominant one is a woman and then, you know, they change um, their form to, to, I love it. Yeah. I love that. I think it w finding Nemo would have certainly been different <laughs> if they took, had taken <laughs> that into account. Maybe they'll do it for the next iteration. Right. Like, so Maybe there's finding Dory yes. and then there's finding Nemo three becoming queen. Yes. <laughs> I love that title. We need it. <laughs> so this happens in clownfish. It actually happens in other species of fish as well. Uh, it happens in, uh, plants as well. Plants do have technically have a sex. There are male and female plants, but they can be sequential hermaphrodites. So it does happen in a number of organisms. The question is, does it actually happen in frogs? So the answer is a little bit complicated. So it's somewhat inconclusive. Now, there is a case study of reed frogs, which are from West Africa, who were studied in captivity and they found in the study in 1989 that there were a number of them that switched from being female to male. So seven out of 24 of them switched their sex from being female to being male under these captive conditions. Now, when animals are in captivity, as you may know, like they act very differently than they do in the wild. So you have a lot of behaviors even physiological behaviors, right, like um, changing your sex, which may not actually happen in their natural environment. It could be because they're in captivity. Their their social system is very different than it would be in the wild. They could be under a, a stress that would affect stress. stress, yeah, which would affect their hormones. And so that might be the reason. So at the time, like in 1989, like we didn't really have evidence that frogs outside of captivity did this in any significant number. Um, but there is actually more recent research that has found some evidence that frogs do do this in the wild. I don't think there's been more evidence on reed frogs, but there has been a different species of frog that has been studied. The green frogs of eastern North America who have been found to change their sex in the wild. 
Originally, it was thought that they only did this in response to pollution, but more recently, they found that even frogs in pristine, non-polluted environments do change their sex from female to male. Yet, there is some evidence that frogs can and will do this in the wild. So that part... Well, why, why would it... So for me, I'm just curious as to why in polluted areas they would need to change their sex. Mm. Like, um, I don't know if there's something that happens. So like in that particular case, is it because like a male can survive that that type of environment a little bit better than a female? Like, I guess I'm just curious to know more about that. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting question. I'm not sure. And I'm I'm not sure like how conclusive the study was, because it turns out even though they thought it only happened in polluted areas, it turns out it doesn't. So so that like even that premise of like pollution somehow causes it is under question. It's not it's not sure. My guess would be pollution would potentially affect like, you know, their anything from like their hormones to their development, their embryonic development. So I could see like that having a direct chemical impact on their system, which might induce this change. But again, like it doesn't seem that pollution may even be a significant factor. It's it's still kind of unknown. The The main takeaway from it is that they will do this in nature, even without pollution. So, and why they do even it... Even without certain stressors, right. they'll still do it. Well, there, there may be stressors that we don't really know, right? Like, so there could be... It could be like the clownfish, right? Where you have a hierarchy where like if you have a certain sex ratio like that they respond to and and will change their sex based on a sex ratio, it may be due to like, say, resources. Like if there is a certain lack of resources, it could be due to maturation. Like they start off life uh, as female and later in life maybe become male. There are all sorts of reasons that animals can change sex and why they do it. And so it's still, I think the research is new enough that I'm not sure they know exactly why they do that. If anyone's researching this and wants to write in the show, definitely hit me up about that because I want to know what's going on with these frogs. What's going on? Seriously, I want to (laughs) know. So basically, though, the takeaway is it is possible. It is possible. So Jurassic Park is not 100% wrong in this. Exactly. But even if frog DNA could help dinosaurs change their sex, Here's the main issue I have with the movie is it doesn't really make a lot of sense to use frog DNA as filler in dinosaur DNA. Now you're shaking your head, so I have a feeling you already know where I'm going with this. I mean, it doesn't make sense at all, but um, you know, maybe the scientists in this film were thinking, well, this is all we have access to. <laughs> the only thing we have access to are these frogs from Africa. So like, let's use this DNA. I'm guessing that's probably what they were thinking, but it doesn't make it sense. It doesn't at make all. sense. I mean, I, I get that like frogs are kind of alien looking, so maybe they would be, you know, maybe they're like prehistoric enough to be like dinosaurs, but that's not really how genetics and, and um, being related genetically works. So frogs and other amphibians are not closely related to dinosaurs at all. There are much better candidates of living animals who are the most closely related to dinosaurs that you could use. Uh, and like the main one being, the most obvious one being birds. Birds are dinosaurs. They are literally still considered to be dinosaurs. They are direct descendants of dinosaurs. And they 
are probably the closest living relative, and their DNA is contains the most crossover with extinct dinosaurs of any animal on Earth. And they have a lot of good things going for them. First of all, they are egg layers. So you can literally, like, if you had the technology to do so, you could somehow uh, take, you know, a, a chicken. <laughs> I'm just going to say take a chicken. <laughs> do artificial insemination or gene editing with dinosaur DNA, then it lays an egg and it hatches a dinosaur. Now, we are way far off from ever being able to do that, but that's the most obvious thing to me than like creating an egg out of nothing. Like, or, or what did they do? They like took ostrich eggs and like, like that were already hatched and, and put in like the... It injected injected it with like dinosaur DNA that like had been mixed with frog stuff. I just think you you take you take a you take a bird and you you put you put bird and dinosaur together. I mean, they're already okay, dinosaurs. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. I think so. It's interesting, and that's why I actually love this topic because my scientist brain one hundred percent agrees. My writer's brain is like that would completely debunk the entire film, right? Because the whole premise is that. The scientists think they're doing something radical by creating these all-female dinosaurs, and then the dinosaurs flip on them. Well, how many birds do we have that can just change sex like that? They're probably thinking, the frog. I, I think what I hypothesize is that the writers of the film found an easy animal target. And right. they were like, oh, frogs. Okay, let's do that. Because then it makes our story more believable. Right. And most people watching are not going to think anything of it, right? They're just like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. You know, you told me this happened, it happened. I think it was in the book, too. The same thing applies to the book, right? Like, Michael Crichton is like, right. well, how do we how do we get to this what's conflict? What's the easiest way? Right. Yeah, what's the easiest way to maintain this conflict? Create it, maintain it, and make it somewhat believable and reasonable. And to be fair, he's not entirely wrong. It just is the most challenging thing to do. Like, the easiest thing to do would just be... Go with birds. It's the easiest with, thing to do. Always go with birds is my philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I just top notch. I say I say it like it's a religious say. Now go with birds. No, but here's the thing that's frustrating is I agree with you, right? Like if this was their only way to make the plot work, fine. Put some Kermit DNA in a dinosaur, whatever. But there is another option for them to have the same plot. That's much more scientifically accurate and much more interesting, in my opinion. And that's because birds can do something called parthenogenesis, which is incredible. So while it's unlikely we don't have sequential hermaphroditism in birds, what we do have is birds who can have secret virgin births like Jesus. <laughs> I, I was like, like the Virgin Mary? Uh -huh. So like... So even if this, you can have the same plot, right? Scientists create dinosaurs. They put them inside a chicken because that makes the most sense or a turkey. I don't know. Or an ostrich, whatever. You take a bird. You mix bird with dinosaur DNA because birds is, birds is dinosaurs, you guys. Birds is dinosaurs. And then you have your little baby and you have your all-female dinosaurs. But birds have been documented to be able to do parthenogenesis where females reproduce by basically just giving a virgin birth without any necessary input from males. So we're just going to have like these spontaneous babies popping up 
from these virgin dinosaurs and they are just going to maybe maybe honestly in that case we probably would have had like three times the amount of dinosaurs (laughs) at jurassic park Honestly. Well, so let's talk a little bit about parthenogenesis because it's something that sounds made up, sounds like it shouldn't be real, but it totally is. Now, admittedly, it's very, very rare in birds, but it's less rare in reptiles. Now, reptiles are not descended from dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are not descended from modern day reptiles. Um, Dinosaurs and reptiles both share a common ancestor, but Dinosaurs are as much a reptile as like mammals are reptiles. We all uh, evolved from a common ancestor that was a reptile like tetrapod. Um, But, you know, dinosaurs and reptiles are somewhat related, much more related than dinosaurs and frogs, frankly. Uh, Like in terms of their relatedness, it's like the living, um, the living animals that are most related to dinosaurs would go like from birds the next up would be reptiles, uh, or actually, no, birds, then crocodilians, then would be reptiles, then actually mammals, including humans, and then finally, that they are would then share a common ancestor with frogs, uh, and then after that, fish. So, yeah, they really, with the frog DNA, I don't know, man, I don't know about the frog DNA stuff. But I mean, listen, it's where we're at. So, you know, it's like it is what it is. They definitely had better options. Michael Crichton talking to you. Right. You definitely had better options. And whoever the consulting, you know, writers and producers and, you know, scientific consultants that they use, we all agree you had better options. Maybe they were just leaving the door open for a Jurassic Park Muppets crossover with like Kermit the Frog being like, (laughs) oh, my God, son, is that you? You're a dinosaur. I mean, Honestly, or, you know, we've talked about how there are what feels like one million um, other Jurassic Park films that come after this. You know, I don't know. There's one coming out. Is it this year or next year? I'm not sure because obviously with COVID, the times have shifted. But there's one coming out soon. They've already finished filming it. And maybe that one will have some giant frogs. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what's coming. It could be giant frogs. I mean, it could just be in real life, giant frogs. Honestly, would not be the most shocking thing to happen in these times. But so my whole point about like talking the, about the relatedness is that dinosaurs are more related to reptiles than they are to frogs. And reptiles are known to have frequent parthenogenesis, or at least if not frequent, more frequently than you would think. There are species of lizards that are all female who reproduce by reshuffling their DNA. So these are called New Mexico whiptail lizards. They are just kind of... First off, that's the best name. <laughs> whiptail. I know, right? The best. It's badass. It's like, you know, you think about this all-female species of lizard, like Amazonian warriors, and they're just like whipping their tails. It's great. I feel like that would be a fantastic 80s rock. <laughs> I'd love... Yes. And you have like really long ponytails that you just like whip yes. around. I love it. Yeah, we've actually talked about the whiptail lizards on the show before. But just a quick recap. They are all female. They reproduce by just shuffling their DNA. They actually have three pairs of chromosomes that they can shuffle around. And that way they can reproduce not through cloning, which is often the case with like asexual reproduction. You just basically create a clone of yourself. Um, but they actually 
don't create exact clones. They, they shuffle their DNA and that helps them to diversify their genetics and make the species more robust to like disease and evolutionary pressures. Um, they do hump each other, not to, not to have sex, but to stimulate ovulation because these, these lizards used to reproduce sexually and a mutation occurred, which gave them three pairs of chromosomes and allowed them to basically have these parthenogenic births. So yeah, so these lizards can reproduce without males at all. Lizard feminism. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're definitely living in the mascara. Yes, yes, the Amazonian. Uh, You've got Wonder Woman just as a lizard, you know, with the little (laughs) little bracelets. The the lasso of truth is her tail. Um, So uh, you could have said that they used reptile DNA for these dinosaurs, but like I teased before, birds actually have been known to very rarely have parthenogenesis occur. So in turkeys and chickens, which I know they don't seem like dinosaurs. I know they seem very far from dinosaurs, but they are technically dinosaurs. And they have been documented to have basically a female laying an unfertilized egg that develops into an embryo and on occasion, rare occasion, actually reaches uh, development, is hatched, and can actually grow into an adult. So typically in cases of parthenogenesis in birds, it's like an embryo starts to develop and then it, it basically can't, can no longer develop. It's not viable. They don't survive. And it's interesting that it occurs in domestic birds that we've seen this. First of all, probably because there's the most observations of them, like the most like ob- observing of their hatching because they're on a farm. So that's probably why we catch it in those. Right. We have like the most, they're the most frequent subject matters. Right. Ex- exactly. So the most observations, the most likely we're going to catch it. But also it could be, through selective breeding, causing some genetic shenanigans that uh, that we weren't aware of. And also, probably when farmers would notice this happening, they would try to uh, breed them more, you know, get more of these chickens to see if they could uh, reproduce it. So I think it's mostly been documented in turkeys. There may have been like one case in chickens or something, but really it's mainly turkeys for whatever reason. And they will lay an unfertilized egg that mutates from being diploid, meaning two sets of chromosomes were diploid. You and I are diploid. Everyone's diploid. Uh, that probably all your friends too. Everyone you probably know is diploid. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but then they uh, mutate from starting out as diploid to being haploid, meaning only one set of chromosomes. Um, interestingly, the offspring is always male. Uh, And this has something to do with the way that turkey chromosomes are. It's not like human chromosomes where females are XX and males are XY. Like in turkeys, males are like WW and females are like WB. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Females are the WB. But uh, yeah, so so there's some reason that with turkey genetics that I don't personally know too deeply about, but... Somehow, in these parthenogenic births, it, the offspring is always male. And so, if you had a Jurassic Park where you use turkey DNA to fill in dinosaur DNA, because turkeys are probably one of the closest relatives of dinosaurs alive today, and then they gave birth to 
um, a, a virgin birth to a male, and those males grew up and started breeding with other females, you could have a Jurassic Park situation that is totally scientifically plausible. 100% scientifically accurate. Right. And also, but where would the fun be in that? In a film? I know, right? Like Jurassic Park. Right. It just sounds so cool. Like, oh, we got frog DNA, and like, yeah, we. We inseminated a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be like, who? I probably thinking, you know, we can't use turkeys because people are just so used to eating them and it would just blow their minds and they just wouldn't feel comfortable watching a film where their beloved turkey mm. or their beloved chicken was used. They're like, we need to go frog to make all of the viewers more comfortable with this crazy idea i guess so although for me i guess i'm a little perverse because like it just makes me wonder how dinosaurs tasted probably good probably good right <laughs> i mean honestly Maybe a little dry you know it, it's not like you know some of our ancestors didn't try them i mean i mean the know, dinosaurs way, were way, dead. way 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 back oh you mean so, like i don't know i don't know like i guess our our Really, way back ancestors like shrew, way back, the shrews, our shrew, our, our um, shrew ancestors probably nibbled on some dino carcasses. Uh, oh, I think for sure. <laughs> I think once a dinosaur died, I mean, like honestly, it, back then everything was fair game in order fair to game. survive, right? So, I mean, I definitely feel like they've tried some dinosaurs. I love the idea of like shrews like chewing up on a T Rex carcass and being like, it's a little dry. It's good. It's good, but it's a little dry. <laughs> like, it's a little dry. And then, you know, maybe putting it over the fire yeah. a little bit and just, you know, getting it to the right <laughs> level of crispiness. I feel like I don't know. Everything shrews, is fair I don't game. think shrews had discovered fire. <laughs> oh, maybe not yet. You're right. You're it right. Took maybe a while. not yet. It took or a- unless it was. By accident that right. they discovered the fire. Like a, you know? like a lightning strike, you know, hit a dinosaur and the shrews had this barbecued oh, dinosaur. And they're like, this is actually really good. It makes me want to evolve thumbs so I can like hold salt and pepper. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, you know, salt and pepper. My goodness. It didn't come till way later. They were probably just like, let's eat this as it is and see what happens. I know, but I, I can't even imagine. I do like the idea of, of a shrew wanting to like ev- the evolutionary pressure being on the shrew to like be able to hold seasoning. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Who knows what they were doing? I mean, honestly, Who knows what it's kind of fascinating, to be honest. I know. Who knows what those shrews were up to? Maybe they, they had a little shrew society. <laughs> <laughs> They had to. It was just them. Right. I mean, you know, I imagine, you know, yeah. it's a lot of maybe it was a lot of partying. Who knows? We don't know. You know, it's like there are no jobs. There's no economy. Probably a lot of trying to warn the dinosaurs about the impending meteors because like all the little mammals oh. had like made bunkers and the dinosaurs didn't. And the bi- dinosaurs are like, no, it's never going to happen. And then that's why. And then boom. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, I-, I think. Wow, we- this took a dark turn. <laughs> But yeah, so Jurassic Park, you should have used turkeys. So when we get back, we're going to talk about the star of the movie, uh, the T-Rex, and talk about whether some of the things they talk about in the movie are actually true or if it's slander and libel. Libel? Libel. Libel against? Is it? (laughs) It would be slander, though, right? Because it's spoken. Slander. It would be slander. Slander. Slander against T-Rexes. We'll be right back. Are dinosaurs reptiles? What about crocodiles or birds? What even are reptiles? The answer to this question is a lot trickier than you might think. 
If you look up dinosaurs and crocodiles, you'll notice that they're technically classified as reptiles, but oddly enough, birds are not. And this is odd because phylogenetically, that is the evolutionary tree, shows that birds are direct ancestors of dinosaurs. In fact, they really are modern day dinosaurs. And crocodiles and birds are much more closely related than crocodiles and say lizards, snakes, turtles, or other modern day reptiles. So why do crocs and dinosaurs get pigeonholed as reptiles instead of, you know, pigeons? Well, they did evolve from a reptile-like ancestor, but so did mammals, and we don't typically refer to mammals as furry reptiles. The reason behind this confusing categorization is that there are actually two systems of classification used for animals, the Linnean system and the phylogenetic system. The phylogenetic system categorizes animals based on their evolutionary path, Meanwhile, the Linnean system is named after Carl Linnaeus, a Swedish biologist of the early 1700s. He developed a system to classify animals and plants, putting them into categories based on observation. Unfortunately, the system was not entirely scientific. At first, Linnaeus thought reptiles and amphibians basically belonged in the same group. But almost a century later, along comes Darwin and shakes the whole system up. Evolutionary theory gives us a new way to classify animals, not just on observable or superficial qualities, but their evolutionary path. And in the 1940s, phylogenetic classification became more standard. Regardless, we haven't completely ditched the Linnean system of classification, and still sometimes group animals based on observable traits, such as reptiles. Reptiles are loosely defined as cold-blooded, air-breathing vertebrates. But here's where it gets kind of tricky. Sure, you could say that crocodiles fit the bill as they are cold-blooded, scaly animals, so maybe reptiles, despite the fact that phylogenetically, they're about as much a reptile as a bird is. But as for dinosaurs, can you really say they're scaly, cold-blooded animals? New evidence points towards dinosaurs not being cold-blooded, meaning they weren't always ectothermic, relying on outside temperature to regulate their body heat. Instead, they may have been somewhat medium-blooded, so to speak, using both internal and external heat sources to regulate their temperature. There's also plenty of evidence of dinosaurs having feathers instead of or along with scales. Thus, classifying them as reptiles may be misleading in terms of understanding what dinosaurs really were, how they looked, and how they behaved. Speaking of which, when we return, we're going to investigate the truth behind the king of the dinosaurs and whether this dino got a fair shake in Jurassic Park. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. 
Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I wonder if at Jurassic Park they have these um, dinosaur-themed snacks. Mm. You know, oh, that would be interesting. Like, you have... You, you not only bring back the dinosaurs as attractions, but you just, like, you cook and eat them. <laughs> oh, I meant, like, this is really beef jerky, but we're going to call it oh, triceratops okay. jerky. No, I, but it's available for right. you to consume as you, you know, go through the park and see these uh, dinosaurs. I thought you meant, like, farming some... Like, actual... Yeah. Oh, no. Some, <laughs> you have some Leopluridon farms where you fish for them and you you make some <laughs> oh my gosh i can't even imagine what that but also they would never want to do that because remember they created this park honestly you know he lies and he basically tries to make everyone believe uh john hammond tries to make everyone believe he's doing it as a sanctuary right. for animals. but really he's just trying to get rich but like, like in, because it's the most insane yeah. idea so because like in later movies don't they sort of eschew a lot of the the purported morals of the earlier movies yes. and start yes there are there are no morals because really the whole entire idea is morally corrupt right like you want to do this. And then also he doesn't care about humans. Not for real. When the first, you know, at the very beginning of the film, um, one of the workers dies. And he's like, and, eh. you know, basically he just tries to cover it up. Right. It's like, John, John Hammond was a monster. Yeah. Truly. He was, was, truly. was the T-Rex the monster or was it John Hammond? Oh, mm-hmm. it was definitely John Hammond. I, I think the humans are the ones right. that are, you know, at fault here because the, technically the animals are innocent because they did not ask yeah. to they be created. They didn't ask to lab. be born, Dad. <laughs> he didn't ask for all of this foolishness to be, you know, to use this <laughs> uh, frog DNA right. and come up with this. They didn't ask for it. Right. They're just, so, yeah. they're just being dinosaurs. Speaking of which, we're going to talk about the T-Rex and what the movie claims about the T-Rex and how they get it. All wrong. So, the most fa- one of the most famous lines from the movie is like when they're being hunted. It's uh oh, you know the kids and and the the good guy scientist Sam Neill's character, Doctor uh, Doctor Grant, Doctor Grant, and those two little brats that he's got. It actually, they're nice kids in the movie. I know, I know I that like, they're supposed to be. These kids are kind of well behaved. Yeah, they're really good kids. They're just a little annoying. They're a little extra, but they're good kids. <laughs> But yeah, so so uh, they're trying to not get eaten by the T-Rex. And Dr. Grant tells them, you know, remain perfectly still. The T-Rex's vision is based on movement. So they try to not panic and stay still. So the question is, is this true? Like, is the T-Rex's vision based on movement? Uh, which, sh- short answer, no. Long answer, no, you would definitely get eaten by the T-Rex. <laughs> uh, Long answer, you really actually are not safe in right. any capacity if the T-Rex is near. You will die right. immediately. Right. And that is the end. Long answer, no! <laughs> Long answer, run, <laughs> even though they're still going to catch up to you and you'll still be eaten. But at least right. run because at least you feel like you tried. Actually, no, their running speed may not have been super fast. So a human who has a lot of endurance and ability to to sprint and then continue to run may have actually stood a chance against a T-Rex, even though we weren't alive at the same time. 
Um, I feel like that would probably be a child and not necessarily like in this instance in the film, I definitely think Dr. Grant would just die Yeah, because I don't think he still has that type of, you know, agility Mm. that he used to, but the kids may be able to survive because they're young, obviously they're agile um, and you know, they have a lot of energy. So they'd be able to like their bones, their bones are still bendy. They can, they can survive a few chomps from a (laughs) T-Rex. Just a couple. Just a couple. But it's an, an interesting question because, like, how do we know, like, how T-Rex's eyesight is? We we don't have a live T-Rex to, like, have an eye chart and be like, all right, start with the first row and go down and, and keep going. You know, like, you, you can't you can't test a living T-Rex's vision. So you have to do it based on anatomical evidence of the fossils that we have. So what's really interesting is after Jurassic Park screened back in the 80s, I forgot what year it was, 80. What was it? You mean when the first film came yeah, out? Yeah, when was that? Was it 80s or no, 90s? No, that was ni- No, that was the 90s. Ah, man, I'm yes, old. Yes, it was 1993 when the first film came wow. out. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so back in the nine, yeah, 1993, after it screened, um, Professor Kent Stevens at the University of Oregon started Project Dinomorph, which was an attempt to model dinosaur anatomy and learn more about dinosaurs. So Project Dinomorph studied T-Rex skulls uh, using the eye socket anatomy to estimate T-Rex's visual field, depth perception, and binocular range. And the project found that the T-Rex's vision was probably just as good as, if not better, than a hawk's, which is very good. (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. Very good. Bad news if you are anything smaller than a T-Rex at the time, which was basically everything. Everything. <laughs> so even more evidence points towards good T-Rex vision. Their ancestors got bigger eyes as they got closer and closer to being T-Rexes. So the T-Rex eyes uh, enlarged, which emphasized that they probably were using them um, and selective pressures were making their eyesight better. Their overall facial structure indicates good vision. So that it was optimized for for vision. So they have front-facing eyes, like a lot of predators, so that you have good depth perception and visual acuity in front of you. Unlike prey animals that have eyes on the side of their heads, that instead of selecting for depth perception and visual accuracy, it's for the widest range of vision that you can do. So if you're a prey animal, you have more of a 360 view of the world, but it's not as accurate That way you can try to detect as many predators as possible, even if it's blurry and you're not quite sure where it is, because your goal is to run away, not to catch the predator. But a predator's goal is to actually land a blow on the prey. So their vision is front facing, which affords them better depth perception, um, much more accuracy for the actual pounce. And that's the case with the T-Rex skull. So they have front facing huge eyes, and they also had a, a face that got narrow and the cheekbones sunk down, which emphasized the fact that they probably, their bone structure was optimized for expanding their field of vision in front of them, which meant they had great eyesight and those kids would have been screwed. I mean, literally everyone would have been. Right. But also, can I just say, when you first started, I was like nervous because I was like, is the University of Oregon doing like what? Where and <laughs> what type of research are well, they we got doing? some dinosaur DNA from some mosquito poop or whatever? 
Yeah. I was like, um, you know, we don't need another John Hammond on our hands. I mean, there are de-extinction projects, but so far they're mainly focused on things like passenger pigeons. Not not uh, any real movement to try to de-extinct dinosaurs yet. You know, it is 2021. It is 2021. Anything is possible, we learned last year, I feel like. Yeah. So, um... I don't know. We might be going. On I would. Path. I feel like I would rather us get killed by our dinosaur creations than like nukes or like a pandemic. You know what I mean? Like it'd be cooler. It'd be a cooler uh, way for. I don't think I have comfort in any of them. Really? <laughs> I, just, I mean, I think like probably the next obvious thing to come um, maybe may be the dinosaurs, but I don't think I, I feel comfortable, you know, with us losing our lives to either of them. I, I but mean, I guess, I mean, you're right. Is it better than a meteor? Look, you know, like- I 100% am going to say it would be cooler for there to be a dinosaur apocalypse than a nuclear apocalypse. I know, like, a lot of movers are like, oh, nuclear apocalypse, that's so cool. It would suck. It would just be a bunch of people sick with radiation poisoning a lot of like starvation it would just be super depressing and super dark whereas dinosaur apocalypse fun and exciting like you know at at least is it it sounds terrifying terrifying yes but at least it's not as depressing as a nuclear apocalypse well i'm thinking it's better than a zombie apocalypse because who wants you know your friends turned into zombies trying to also get you to turn into a zombie. a zombie. I'd much rather see a dinosaur. Now, that's fair. Zombie dinosaur apocalypse. Your opinion's on no, that. Oh, no. No? Okay. <laughs> I- I'm thinking maybe. Maybe. Anyways, all apocalypses are bad, but dinosaurs are interesting. <laughs> so um, where did this myth come from in terms of like, oh, they can only sense movement? Now, this may have been explored more in the book. I haven't actually read the book. Uh, full disclosure, I apologize. I the myth may have come from frogs again. It's those dang frogs. So frogs do have a little bit of trouble seeing prey unless it's moving. It's not true that they're like completely blind, uh, like if the prey isn't moving. It's just that their hunting style and their eyesight is... Uh, attuned mostly to movements. So like seeing prey move around, they, it's much easier for them to lock onto it. But they aren't blind. If like if they see something right in front of them and it's like right there and they know it's there, uh, even if it's not moving, like e- even as much as like a little twitch of the antenna of the insect, it's probably going to be enough to alert them that something's there. But yeah, in terms of like their hunting, they are cognitively primed to like... Uh, pounce on something that's moving and there there's in fact like these really funny videos of 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 frogs with an ipad and you have bugs moving around on the screen and they you know flip out their tongue and try to eat the things on the screen because they're like kitties like little amphibious kitties so what you're saying is jurassic park is not entirely incorrect like dr grant was not entirely incorrect when he told the kids to be still because what he was referencing was part of the frog DNA that made it, you know, like, okay, they can only, you know, if you're out of their field of vision, then you'll be fine. I so that's guess. what he was referencing. I, I just, I still don't really buy it because even if they have frog DNA, they still have giant eyeballs, right? It didn't affect they do. their, giant. like if you had a T-Rex with like a frog head, right? Which I love, actually, now that I say it. Actually, it sounds terrifying. <laughs> sounds great. You know, with a big old head. tongue. Then I'd be like, yeah, okay, this, like, horrifying Kermit 
T-Rex like uh, hybrid, maybe its vision really is mostly attuned to movement. But like it had the anatomy of a T-Rex. So I don't see any reason why its eyes just wouldn't work like or it would just be too dumb to be able to see the person. And even if its eyesight, like even if it like had some eyesight problem and needs some big old dinosaur glasses, which would actually be really cute. There is anatomical <laughs> evidence that points towards T-Rex having really good senses of smell and hearing. So they had a huge olfactory bulb, which is the scent organ, uh, which they can tell by the cavity in their skull where that would make room for the, the uh, olfactory bulb. So that meant they probably had a really acute sense of smell. They also had really long cochlear bones. So the cochlear bones are in the inner ear. And living animals that have long cochlear bones also have really good hearing. So they probably could see really well, better than a hawk. They could probably hear really well. They could smell really well. It's just bad news. It's bad news if you are on the receiving end of their attention overall. I mean... Yes. But, you know, again, in this world of Jurassic Park, where we can just create anything, they're saying basically all of the, well, not all of the shortcomings, but they're going to attribute the, you know, dinosaur shortcomings to the frog. Real, real scapegoats. This is why. Scape frog situation, I think. Yep. And either that or Jim Henson is a secret producer. You know, those are the only two options that we have. You got you to have more frogs in it. Again, I think they were like looking for a Muppets uh, Jurassic Park crossover. So they had to like put in as many like breadcrumbs towards frogs as they could. So they could have a whole plot with like Kermit the Frog, you know, having to go to Jurassic Park and build a relationship with these dinosaurs. Like, it's me. I'm your father. Personally, I would watch Kermit talking to dinosaurs. Search your feelings, T-Rex. You know it to be true. (laughs) Another, uh, this didn't really come from Jurassic Park, but this is a myth about T-Rexes that I've seen like in the media that like they weren't actually like hunters. They were timid scavengers. No, no. Short answer, no. Long answer, no, no. No, they were, they certainly were not above scavenging. Of course, they probably ate some dead triceratops carcass when they could get it. Like, why Why wouldn't they? I mean, even lions scavenge when they can. Right. You know, so predators will scavenge when they can, living predators that we observe today. But that doesn't mean that they don't hunt as well. And everything that we know about T-Rexes points towards them being hunters and we have fossil evidence of it. So not only is the anatomical evidence suggestive of, of being a hunter, that they're optimized for hunters, like we, we talked about those front-facing good eyes, the really good hearing, really good sense of smell, those big thighs for days, you know, just amazing legs for running. And even though they couldn't run like super fast, they could probably run fast enough to catch up to a, a slower dinosaur and and you know probably like if they definitely caught uh, uh, something off guard they could probably catch up to them so yeah and let's be fair they still looked good doing it no matter how fast they were going god did not skip leg day did skip arm day significantly (laughs) (laughs) so but really the most conclusive evidence is that there is fossil evidence showing that T-Rex teeth are embedded in healing tissue of dinosaurs, which means basically they tried to chomp down on a living dinosaur. The dinosaur escaped um, and chipped their teeth in the process. And then that tooth got embedded in their flesh. And then there are healing 
scars around it, like bone scars and, and tissue scars around it. And then we have the fossil evidence of that. So we know that T-Rexes kind of chomped down on some living dinosaurs, which suggests they were hunting, you know. So, uh, but, you know, it's not untrue that they scavenged. They, they did scavenge. I mean, like we said, like, you got to do what you got to do. You got to hustle back in dinosaur times. Have to be a fierce warrior predator <laughs> at all costs in every scenario. Right. So they were doing it all for sure. Right. Uh, and then the other thing, like, there are things about, like, well, did T-Rexes have feathers? Were they basically giant chickens? So this is, I, I love the idea of T-Rexes being giant chickens, but... I can't imagine <laughs> them with, uh, with feathers. That would be terrifying, I think. In the interest of science, though, I'm going to try to give as unbiased a picture as I can, even though I personally definitely want them to be covered in feathers. So baby T-Rexes... There's good reason to believe they probably had feathers. Um, paleontologists believe that one of the purposes of dinosaur feathers, maybe the primary purpose, was insulation for warmth. This was long before feathers were ever used for flight. And back when the feathers were used for warmth, they were more like these long filaments, fluffy down like a baby penguin or a kiwi bird, uh, not the flat feathers that you see in birds that use them for flight. I mean, with a lot of flightless birds, you see this this uh, kind of, they have developed the filaments more, the, the downy, warmer feathers now, like like ostriches and emus. They're, they're like little puffballs. They're not, they don't have many of the, um, you know, big fan-like feathers that we see in birds of flight. So the idea of a big T-Rex just covered in feathers is maybe a little far-fetched. Adult T-Rexes probably didn't need the feathers. Like, they were huge. They didn't need, probably didn't need them for any kind of, like, armor or protection. They're just so big. They had thick hides. Um, and they didn't need them for warmth because they were so big. A big animal like that is able to generate warmth a lot more efficiently than a little baby. Yeah, I'm curious as to kind of what stage they would have, you know, kind of dropped the feathers right. and moved more towards that traditional, um, more like rubbery type hide. Right. Uh, rubber's the only thing I can. I mean, they probably right now, yeah. they probably like started molting as like larger juveniles. They gained mm. uh, weight and size extremely quickly. They start, you know, started out as like these skinny, like almost like smaller than a, a turkey little cutie things. I actually have a picture of that in the doc if you want to see. They're very cute. Um, just the artistic renditions of them with, with puffy feathers. They probably started out as, as oh, you know, this is cute. very except adorable. Except for those teeth. And then, <laughs> except for the teeth, sure. But then probably as they got bigger and bigger, they probably went through a molting stage. I mean, we see that with like um, penguins start out as these little downy puffballs. Yeah. And while they don't lose their feathers as adults, they do uh, molt and have feathers that are optimized for swimming rather than just for warmth as they are as little babies. So Yeah, it's so adorable how the penguins like their their feathers then kind of mold into the shape of their body and they're a bit more form-fitting to allow right. better swimming. Love it. Yeah, it, it is cute. They started as poof balls and then they get, get their formal tuxes on as they reach adulthood. <laughs> so Fancy. adult T-Rexes, maybe they had a, a smattering of feathers. Um, most of the sort of like skin imprints that that uh, have been found, like doesn't seem to be suggestive of there being a lot of feathers on the T-Rex. But, you know, I can imagine like 
maybe they retain some of the feathers like in places where like maybe around the eyes like that would be potentially useful for like keeping dust out of their eyes they you know may have had a few like here and there maybe they had some colorful feathers for sexual selection there's just not any like proof of that yet so it's possible but uh, I think like most of the evidence seemed to suggest like that they probably lost most of the feathers as adults simply because they didn't need them. And we don't really most of the evidence doesn't seem to suggest that they they had a, a bunch of feathers. Um, but there is a dinosaur that is very similar to a T-Rex that we do think had a lot of feathers. So this is the Euteranus, uh, which means feathery king. It's a mix of Latin and Mandarin. And they were uh, predecessors to T-Rexes, and they were likely covered in feathers, as fossil evidence seems to suggest. They lived in a cooler climate. They were smaller than a T-Rex, although still pretty big. So they were about 7 to 8 meters or 26 feet in length, but a T-Rex was about 12 meters or 40 feet in length. So they were smaller. They lived in a cooler climate, which probably made the feathers as adults, uh, more useful in keeping them warm. It's interesting because they have, they look like they have like almost kind of like a fox fur yeah. in, the, in the back, like fox fur in the back and then more kind of those traditional feathers that you were imagine at the head and the, and the neck at the base. Yeah, I think that it's, it's, I'm not sure how much these artistic renditions are based on like guesswork, how much of it is based on the fossil record. Um, I think it, it seems like to me the downy feathers that look more like fur than feathers is probably pretty accurate. And the the face feathers, like, I, I just, it seems like very reasonable to assume that there may have been some colorful face feathers for like sexual selection or identification. Um, they may have, have had different like textures of feathers based on where it was in their bodies. I don't know how much they know about the feathers. They just know that they had. Right, it's, it's hard to know the accuracy. Right, exactly. But we do know that they had these like these downy feathers, and it was probably all over their body. But yeah, they're they're kind of kind of cute, a little scary, <laughs> just like a little fluffy. <laughs> they don't. You know what? Honestly, I mean, looking at this artistic rendition, I they don't look that menacing to me. I mean, it's the obviously like the claws are yeah. are. Quite they look like a, but the face is yeah, not to me. Somehow the the fuzziness, the furriness of it makes them less menacing. I mean, it softens them. Yeah. Their their legs actually remind me of a snowy owl. Um, the, oh, you know, yeah. The, the, fluff, yeah. the leg fluff of a snowy owl. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, they probably were menacing. I, I think they were predators and they probably would eat you up. They're like, when I say they're smaller than a T-Rex, they're still incredibly large and scary. Right. I mean, smaller is relative because naturally the T-Rex is kind of in competition with itself when it comes to size. But um, yeah, I mean, this picture, obviously, clearly it's not menacing because I'm not standing there. Right, exactly. (laughs) Like... If I were up against this, then uh, truly I would probably be terrified. I mean, so, it'd be a little cute, you know, like as it's munching off your arm. It's like, aw, but you're fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be a little bit, I'd feel a little bit more, you know, um, comfortable with the idea of getting one of my limbs chewed off by this adorable little creature. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I would just still be 100% terrified. So, 
If dinosaurs had feathers for warmth and then birds started using them for flight, what's up with flightless birds? Are they dinosaurs who never quite evolved flight? What the heck is their deal? Well, sometimes evolution will go back to earlier schematics, so to speak, when the need arises. Take whales, please. They started out as land-dwelling mammals, then went back to the sea like our ancient aquatic fishy ancestors. DNA evidence of flightless birds shows a similar pattern. Ostriches, emus, rays, and kiwi birds all seem to have evolved from an ancestral bird who could fly and, importantly, disperse to new continents. Penguins, too, are the descendants of flighted birds, and their ancestor was likely similar to a living aquatic bird, the thick-billed myrrh, a black-and-white Alaskan bird that basically looks like a slimmer penguin with wings that can actually fly. Why did these birds ditch the superpower of flight? Well, flying takes time and energy, and if you don't have to do it, say because you lack predators, have the powerful defenses of an ostrich, or the nimble swimming ability of the penguin, the ground and sea can offer plenty of opportunities for survival. When we return, we're going to talk about a feathery dinosaur who didn't quite make the cut for appearing in Jurassic Park, but definitely should have. So I feel like T-Rex, uh, Velociraptor, Triceratops, like these are the dinosaurs that get like all of the media attention, all of the limelight. And I feel like there should be other dinosaurs that get more attention because they're cool and weird. And I want to give some love and attention to a dinosaur that I think is relatively unknown. It's super weird. It is called a Dinochirus. So the Dinochirus lived during the late Cretaceous period, about 70 million years ago. They were a genius, a genius. They were a genus of Ornithomimosauria, which is also known as ostrich dinosaurs because a lot of the species were sort of ostrich-like just superficially. But this genus, the Dinochirus, I don't really see the resemblance to ostriches. So they were large. You don't? I immediately, really? I immediately thought that. Yes. Interesting. Uh -huh. Interesting. Uh, to me, they're too like, they're too camel-like to look like ostriches to me. But may I, I guess, yeah, maybe I can see a little bit. To me, it's like an ostrich anteater mm. dinosaur. That's a, like yeah. that's the okay. I see that a little bit. Yeah. So they were big. They were 11 meters or 36 feet long and over six tons. So Dinochirus is Greek for horrible hands. So they're the horrible hands <laughs> dinosaur. And I guess it's because they had horrible hands. I mean, they had some of the longest arms of any bipedal dinosaur. Their arms were 2.5 meters long or 8 feet long. Why do they have horrible hands over the T-Rex, though? Know. Like, I definitely would say the T-Rex has worse hands. Maybe, like, horrible as in bad at being hands, but maybe they meant horrible as in horrifying. <laughs> like, scary hands. <laughs> maybe. I want to call it the jazz hands dinosaur, though, because, like, you know, it's yes. got those long arms. Perfect for jazz hands. So they had enlarged vertebrae on their back that formed a hump or a sail. It had a hard, wide bill and probably fan-like feathers at the end of its tail. 
So kind of like some kind of like a spoon bill or, or a shoe bill stork with a, with a camel hump and a long tail with like feathers on the end. It was probably an omnivore eating fish, plants, and anything it could fit in its bill, like some kind of weird like giant humpback stork. So basically like, have you ever seen a shoe bill stork? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. With those big, big bills, they're kind, they're kind of yep. spooky looking. Sometimes they're just, they're so tall. But just give it some big arms, uh, make it huge with big, meaty legs and a humpback, and there you go. That's probably what it looked like. <laughs> I mean, I don't find this particular dinosaur to be as menacing. Like there is something. I think it's probably because of you know its nose that it it i don't know it just is like to me it doesn't feel like um its outer appearance doesn't match its predatory nature if that makes sense right. like it definitely just feels a little bit like more calming well, i feel so. like if i were up against you know this 11 meter dinosaur <laughs> i would probably be like it's still kind of cute it's though still you know i mean cute. it's obviously very large but it's cute i think it doesn't scare me as much as there's a little bit yeah. of the uncanny valley of this looks like a muppet but like a huge muppet which is weird like why <laughs> we are like fully invested in these dinosaurs being Muppets. Every, like, <laughs> I come to it a lot on the show where it's like, this is a Muppet. Like, there's so much. I guess just like Muppets are so, like, the Muppet universe is so vast that you can always find an animal that's like, hey, this is this is like a Muppet. It's a Muppetsaurus Rex. But it's like, <laughs> it's like Snuffleupagus mixed with Big Bird, kind of. Yes. You know? Yes, yes. Definitely Snuffleupagus. Yeah. For sure. Definitely getting it's the stuff. She's got this big duck yeah. bill and like fe- long feathery arms. It's just like it is kind of cute. I don't mind. The, I don't mind the hands, but the hands remind me. And this is gonna sound real off because I'm not comparing it to another animal. But you know the machines when you were a little kid, the claw. Mm-hmm. It's called the claw. That's what yes. their hands remind me. No, of. No, you're right because it's got three fingers, like those horrible claw machines that never give you prizes because they never rigged. pick up anything they're rigged right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean it is it's just an it's an awkward and odd looking dinosaur i think like people have a very specific image in mind when they think about dinosaurs but there are all these like oddball dinosaurs that just look weird and interesting and i i, I love it like i love this guy so much like i want to see I love- I want to see it in a movie uh, come to life. Like, I'm tired of only seeing, like, velociraptors and T-Rex and, and you know, brontosaurus. Like, like, those are great. Those are all great. But, like, give, give, us, give us some weirdos. You know, if only we would have recorded this prior to them shooting Jurassic World Dominion. Right. I mean... We could have possibly gotten some of these right. you know, dinosaurs, these lesser known dinosaurs that don't get as much love and appreciation. We maybe could have gotten them in yeah. the film. I mean, although maybe they'll add them in post, you know, like these yes, dinosaurs. Why not? There's time. It's mostly post, right? Because like, you know, it's, it's all it's all CGI. I don't think that. And apparently it's not coming out until 2022 now. Right. So technically they have a full year petition, to put these in. Petition the movie to put the Dino Kyrus in the movie in post. Yes. I mean, it would 
to be fair, it would be Cretaceous Park, not Jurassic Park. But still, look, they did they did I, like genetic shenanigans mixing frogs with like dinosaurs. And in the newer movies, they did like hybrids that were giant. Like you can throw in a Cretaceous dinosaur. Come on. Yeah, I was going to say, does it really matter? Because yeah. what we've learned during this episode is that not everything is scientifically true or accurate <laughs> in these films anyway. And they pretty much just do what they right. want. So... I think that they can add. I this agree. Dinosaur. I agree. Write your senator. Let's get these dinos in the movie. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> we need this. Call, call your governor. Before we go, I want to cap off the episode with another listener email, one that I think is very appropriate because we're talking about ostrich dinosaurs. And this is a question about ostriches. So the email, short and sweet question is, What's up with ostriches finding their human keepers sexier than other ostriches? And this is from PK. Thank you so much for this question. I love this question. Um, First of all, it's true. Like ostriches show mating displays towards human visitors, uh, which seems to indicate that they think that it's time to seduce some humans. And this is actually not unique to ostriches. It happens in a few types of birds. And this is due to something called imprinting. So when a chick hatches, it takes a visual cue from what it thinks is its parent, imprints on that, makes a mental image of that that creature as its parent, and will follow them and and just like copy them, do all these things. So it's like if you have ever watched baby ducklings hatch or geese and they see you first, they'll follow you around because they think you're mommy or daddy. So... In ostriches, they also have this flocking behavior where the babies have to follow dad around. The the dad is the one that takes care of all these babies. So they have to make a strong imprint of what their father looks like so that they can follow him around. And so ostriches that are raised by humans will look at you. They're like, you're dad, so I must be a human. So if I see other humans, that must be what I am. Um, so I'm going to hit on them and bring them home for you to meet for dinner. And this happens in, not just like with humans, but like if you have a bird like a zebra finch and you have a, a different finch raise it, like a, a finch that has a different color morph, a different look to it. The uh, zebra finches will grow up and be attracted to the different looking birds, not the birds that look like its biological parents. So they will imprint on the adopted parent and go like, OK, this is what I'm looking for in a mate. So yeah, so that's why ostriches, they, they like if they're raised by humans, they're like, all right, I'm a human. I got to find a human boyfriend or girlfriend and they'll hit on you if you visit an ostrich farm. So yeah. I mean, dolphins will hit on you too. That's you true. know, they definitely hit on humans all the time. And also, you know, who else imprints? Um, and yes, I'm going to make a pop culture reference, Jacob. And he was a werewolf mm. in Twilight, and he imprinted on Renesmee. So it all comes full circle. Yeah, that was weird, because wasn't that so a baby? Weird. So weird. Kind of opposite. I think that if he would have imprinted on her as an adult, it would have made more sense. Yeah. But the fact that he did it when she was like an hour old, I was like, mm. that's like That's some insect-type behavior. Like, insects will, like, swarm, like, um, butterflies and other insects where the, uh, or bees, like, um, will swarm over where there is a newly emerging female just recently hatched and will just like mob mob her trying to get at her. 
Um, although, in, to their credit, they're also like newly hatched males. The, the males just sometimes hatch a little bit before the females. So when the female starts hatching, they literally like um, mob her and do like a mosh pit trying to mate with her. So, Which is wild because guys, relax. <laughs> relax. Seriously. Yeah, guys, relax. Ostriches, you're okay, though. I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for thinking of me as a potential partner. But right. No, no you know, I, it's just like respectfully, I will turn you down, but I am flattered and I wish you luck in your future pursuits <laughs> with other ostriches. Like, let's be clear, guys, that's where you need to be. I mean, other ostriches. I mean, you know, but like maybe there's maybe uh, look, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say that there's not a not necessarily a human out for you, but. You're, there's not. You're there's shaking not. your head. You're 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 staunchly against like ostrich human relations. I, I can respect that. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I think you know. Go ahead, and and we are happy as a human. We are happy to find you your ostrich. Right. Bird, we'll be you your know, wing like... wing person, yes. which is funny because yes. you're a bird. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today kb this was incredible i love talking jurassic park with you do you have anything to plug like where people can find you any projects you're doing yeah well thank you so much for having me you know i have said it a million times before but jurassic park is one of my favorite films even though it is full of bad science as we uh you know shared with you today, yeah that's almost totally almost good science not bad science right. just almost good well, mm, I mean, I'm still going to go with bad science because the scientists were making the scientists some very were dumb. terrible choices. Right. One last point. Yes. One last like, point about how dumb like these these Paul Blart scientists, mall cop <laughs> scientists were and like security were is that if they truly wanted to prevent the dinosaurs from reproducing, you would make them all male because then there's just yes. no way. Right. Like. Yes. Other than like, I guess the frogs like changing from, but like even in frogs, they change from female to male, not male to female. Not male to female. Right. So like if you make them all male, then there's no chance of the frog thing happening. There's no chance of parthenogenesis because males don't lay eggs. The much safer option, probably, I don't know, like they're, who know, like they probably would have been more colorful too. Cause like birds, we know males have much prettier plumage than females. So like make them all boys. I know that's not a feminist yeah. thing to say, but like make all the dinosaurs male. That would have been what you did I mean, if you were a good scientist. There are so many decisions and choices that are made by all of the scientists in this film that I just, I, I shake my head when I watch it. <laughs> I um, know. But I still enjoy it. It's Listen, great. I love it. But the science in it is just right. wild to me because I'm like, guys, 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 guys. And honestly, the science gets worse. As you keep moving forward in the sequels, yeah, yeah. So I just, I just want to say that I do want to see um, but, a Paul Blart, like Paul Blart, mall cop, trying to do security at Jurassic Park. Oh my gosh! Yeah, let's add him in. Let's throw him, him in. in. I mean, I feel like we can throw anyone in. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna say I do have hope that just Jurassic World Dominion, the one that comes out next year, I have hope that they have upped their game when it comes to the scientific consultants that they use on the project. You know what? I feel like it's gonna be a fresh start. They're going to have some great science in yeah. this film. I'm just going to be positive let's, about yeah, it. Yeah, let's like, be you hopeful. Know what? Turning over new leaf. Give the dinosaurs yes. feathers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's do it. 
Well, thank you again for having me. It's such a great time. And yeah, I mean, you know, I am on social media, Instagram and Twitter at the Lady KB. That's T-H-E-L-A-D-Y-K-A-Y-B. Um, I am the season two host of the Color Grade podcast. If you want to check that out on all podcast listening platforms, and I talk TV and film with some of my critic friends, basically. And I do a little weekly or we do picks that I am like, listen, even if this film is not fabulous, you still need to watch it because you will laugh. Um, so just like Jurassic Park, <laughs> an iconic film with that science. So yeah, please check out the Color Grade podcast um, or you can check out my other show on YouTube called Super Lady Hero Hour, where we dive into nothing but comic book content. Nice. Nice. Super dinosaurs. Replace all the superheroes with dinosaurs. That's my opinion. Maybe that's coming. It's coming. You know, who knows? Maybe there's an animated series yeah. where all of these dinosaurs actually have superpowers. Um, maybe that's where Jurassic World Dominion goes next time. Maybe the dinosaurs. I think there's a happen. squirrel girl villain where, like, the squirrel girl is, like, the villain tries to turn people into dinosaurs and she's trying to convince them to use science to make the world a better place. And he's like, but I don't want to make the world a better place. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. Which, fair. I fair. mean, you know, maybe he's just like, I want to see what right. happens if everyone was a Honest dinosaur. And fair. I, I appreciate it. Well, you can find us on the internet at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram, at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F E A T, not F E E T. That is something very different. You can send me an email at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. And I will try to answer your question either through email or maybe even on the show. And you can find me. I am Katie Golden on Twitter, K-A-T-I-E-G-O-L-D-I-N, where I just talk about my Katie thoughts, not necessarily related to the podcast. And as always, I am pro-bird rights on Twitter, where I fight for the rights of birds because they are dinosaurs and they should probably regain control of the earth. I'm just saying, just saying. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this show and you leave a rating and review, I will read it. I read all of them and I appreciate them all. It warms, warms my little dinosaur heart and it really does help the show. Thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. Yay! Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. 
You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.